Let's go to the Body Works Plus guest hotline right now and welcome Tim Bontemps of ESPN.com. He joins us to talk about the Charlotte Hornets post-All-Star break, but also some other NBA-centric topics. Tim, thank you so much for the time, man. How are you? Doing well, guys. How are you doing? We're doing well. What's going on, baby? Uh, I would ask you about this player beef right now, but I'm not going to do that to you with your with your colleague being J.J. Redick, although it is pretty interesting to me. Instead, we'll go to the All-Star weekend because that's been a big topic of conversation here, Tim. And we were trying to figure out exactly what answers people might have. It was a successful Saturday night, even with the slam dunk contest being much uh, criticized as well. But I know that the ratings were certainly up compared to what they were last year. It's just the game. It feels like the game has not lived up to what we at least watched as kids. Is there any idea that you have, Tim, on how we can fix the NBA All-Star game or what the NBA might look at in order to fix the All-Star game? I think the key there is what you said, which was when we were kids. Yeah. Right? Like, the All-Star game was fine. I was. It was not an exciting game for me to watch, but kids liked it. And, like, I think to me the way to look at this whole weekend is the NBA doesn't call it all-star game weekend, right? What do they call it? They call it all-star, right? All-star is going to Charlotte or Indy or Cleveland or San Francisco or whatever, right? It's essentially become their version of Comic-Con, which I don't say is a, uh, a criticism, right? Like it's become this like massive, fan experience they have tens of thousands of people go to their crossover event every year they have people go watch the celebrity game which i don't know why anyone would ever have interest in going to watch the celebrity game and (laughs) my company airs the celebrity game yeah uh you know people go i mean i was at lucas oil on saturday there were people sitting in the absolute top row of the upper deck of a football stadium to watch that dunk contest on saturday and the place was full on Sunday to watch the basketball game. So I think there's really only two ways to look at this. One is you sort of do what they did with the, the Rising Stars game on Friday, which I won't apologize to anybody if they didn't watch it. I also didn't watch it, and I was there. But that game used to have even less defense than the All-Star game did. And they changed it to this format where they have seven teams or four teams of seven guys and they essentially play king of the hill they play two games to 50 and then the winners play to 25 might be slightly different point totals but that's essentially what they do and if you had if you had like three games like that where guys played to 50 and um the scoring totals were smaller and the game was shorter i think there'd be more chance for some competitive moments to happen like there were to some degree in the rising stars thing on Friday, because you weren't having guys take 200 threes. And if Dame and Tyrese come in and say, we want to try to win MVP and combine to hit 17 threes, the East goes up by 20 points and you're just not really making that deficit up. Right. And then the rest of the game was just, it sort of hovered between 10 and 20 points and nothing really happened. So, you know, you either do that and sort of try to inject, sort of smaller competitions to increase the level of competitiveness potentially in them or what, and this is probably what I would do have the game at three o'clock in the afternoon when little kids can watch it and have some fun stuff during it. Like they do with the pro bowl and just say, Hey, 
we're here to celebrate the game this weekend, and we're just going to sort of put on a show like they do with the Saturday afternoon practice, kind of. Um, but instead, they have, they're sort of doing the same thing that Major League Baseball has done for decades, trying to get people to care about the All-Star game, and the same thing that the NHL has done, and the same thing the NFL has done. And the truth is that 20 and 30 years ago, there wasn't the same sort of complex built up around these games, and guys would go there for like 36 hours and play in the game. And now the entire weekend is a giant, endless event. And by the time they get to Sunday night, they're exhausted, and there's too much money at stake for everybody involved to be selling out being super competitive in the game. So I just, I think it's just a whole debate that sort of misses the broader point, which is that most of the people having this discussion are wishing it was 25 years ago or 30 years ago or 20 years ago. And we've seen across all sports, all of these games lack any kind of real competitive edge to them. And I think, you know, spending two or three days during the all-star break, having the narrative around the league be, why does nobody care? It's not exactly a great marketing move by the league, in my opinion, to have like allowed this to become the defining discussion around the game itself. Well, and and Tim, that's what I want to go to as well. Like, is there a disconnect between the fan base and the NBA? Because clearly the fan base thinks there is a big problem. We've spent enough time talking about it. We've gotten enough engagement talking about it to where clearly the fan base does have a problem with the way that the all-star game is played. Does the NBA think that there's a real problem to the point of where they feel like they need to fix it? Or is there a big old disconnect between those two parties? Well, I think you guys saw how Adam Silver reacted after the game and he was clearly mad. And uh, I think the NBA, the NBA was upset with how the game went last year, spent the last calendar year expending a lot of capital to try to uh, get the game to be played differently. And then it wasn't. And I would say like, yes, it is a great, and I'm not saying this in a mocking way to be clear. It is a great radio topic to talk about how to fix the all-star game, right? But like you said, the ratings were up. Like little kids, fan, younger fans liked the game. They had no issue with the game, right? So I didn't, like I said, I sitting there at the game didn't think it was a super exciting thing to watch. But I think they either need to change the format or just lean into, sort of like what the Pro Bowl has done, lean into the idea that it's not going to be this grand spectacle of competition and just turn it into more of a showcase of what these guys' athletic gifts are. But to to go back to your question about does the NBA care, you just have to go watch Adam Silver handing the trophy to the Eastern Conference All-Stars to see whether the NBA cares. And the NBA cares because they want to get as large of a television deal as possible and they're trying to sell the All-Star game to Turner or someone else for a lot of money, which is why they spent the last year trying to make sure that this was the most competitive game they could get and why they were so mad that it wasn't. Tim Bond, Tim's joins us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. And, Tim, when you talk about that, too, because I was going to ask, is there any messages that are giving, given before the game? Or, two, is it as simple as the players that are the captains, the Giannis's, the LeBron's, 
they come into the locker room with that type of competitive energy to get guys to play hard. Is it as simple as that? I feel like we're talking in circles. This is kind of the problem. Like, I think Anthony Davis summed things up best after the game when he was talking about it. And he was like, look, you can't sort of be competitive. You've either got to, like, turn it up and be competitive or it's hard to really do it a little, right? And he said, look, there's a ton of guys, like, everybody that's here is hugely important to their teams. And imagine what would happen if somebody went up the contested dunk and fell and got hurt and their season got changed because of an exhibition game. And what would the reaction be? And I will just point out that in all of the discussion about, oh, we've got to have the all-star game be super competitive and guys have got to really try. Nobody talks about the fact that in the Elamendi game in 2020, after Kobe died, which was an awesome game and an awesome event, Kemba Walker played a lot of consecutive minutes on a bulky knee, and his career was never the same after that. And you could say, well, Kemba already had kind of a bad knee. It was going to go that way anyway, and that might be so. But you can pretty much draw a marker from that game forward, and obviously I say that in part because Kemba was such a beloved guy in Charlotte for many good reasons. Like, you could pretty clearly point to that game and say his career is never the same after it. And you could at least make a specious argument that him playing 20 consecutive minutes in that Elementing or whatever it wound up being, which was a lot, might have played a part in that. And again, it could have happened in any situation, but there is a real doubt. There is a potential downside to these guys going all out in this game. And if we had a situation where, I'm not even going to say a guy's name to jinx them, but like if some star player broke their leg or blew out their knee or something in the all-star game, the conversation we'd be having right now is why did anybody try in this game that didn't matter and ruin X team season? So I do just think this is kind of a, I think it's sort of a philosophical argument that doesn't really have a clear solution to it, which is why I would either change the format or I would personally lean into the fact that, it should just be a showcase midseason thing and have it at a time of the day when kids can actually sit and watch it and not on it nine o'clock at night when a lot of them can't. Tim, I'll ask you now, turning the page to the Charlotte Hornets, and we saw all the additions that they made, the most movement we've seen from the Hornets at the trade deadline in quite some time. And I want to look at LaMelo Ball specifically and his career trajectory. Is this exactly what LaMelo Ball needed as far as more veterans coming into the locker room and with that veteran approach that they're taking? Is he a guy that's going to benefit greatly from all that the Hornets did at the deadline? I wouldn't say he's going to benefit from what the Hornets did at the deadline per se in terms of who was brought in. I would say he's going to benefit from what the Hornets did at the deadline because it's a sign of the franchise under the new owners, Rick Schnall and Gabe Plotkin, having a real vision for what they're doing going forward and are going to have some real investment in the team and I think um, have a real chance to build the team in a smart way. And, you know, none of the moves they made were particularly – uh, sexy or headline worthy, but they were just solid, smart basketball moves. And if you look at a team like the Thunder, they're now one of the best teams in the league 
in large part because they spent three or four years grinding away, hitting a lot of singles and hitting a lot of doubles. And yes, part of that was Van Tegel's Alexander there, which, you know, if you want to draw the comparison with Lamelo, you certainly can. Um, and then they spent two or three years methodically adding pieces around those guys and doing well in the draft and making smart decisions. And then all yeah, we, we're having trouble hearing you, Tim. We apologize. Tim was starting to break up a little bit there, and the audio was starting to go out. We'll try to get back with him in just a moment. That was Tim Bontems of ESPN.com joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, talking about the All-Star break, and perhaps we'll just say farewell from there. I wanted to get a couple more Hornets questions in, but maybe we can do that a little bit later on. But with LaMelo having this help veteran-wise, as you were kind of alluding to here, Wes, I think that's true as well. We have Tim back on is what you're saying fitty okay cool we got tim back on and maybe we can finish up there apologize for that tim we couldn't hear you it, it yeah, seemed sorry, like guys. no My you're bad. good no you're, you're good, good. it just seemed like you were talking a little bit more about how it feels like the hornets finally understand the direction they need to head and that's why they were so successful at the trade deadline absolutely they picked the direction and they set out in it and i think like uh, you know i don't know where i cut off but you look at the thunder and they spent three years methodically adding pieces around Gillis alexander and making smart decisions and hitting a lot of singles and hitting a lot of doubles and all of a sudden they've got a ton of draft picks and a young exciting uh core of players and they've got one of the best young teams in the league and i'm not saying it's going to go exactly the same way in charlotte but if you hit a lot of singles you get a lot of guys on base you end up scoring a lot of runs and that's i think a model for what the hornets are trying to do and i think they had one of the best trade deadlines in the league because they stuck to it and did it very successfully all right, Tim, last thing before we get you out of here, the other thing that the Charlotte Hornets are doing right now, Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall, they're looking for a new general manager. We just don't know who that's going to be after Mitch Kupchak steps back to an advisory role, at least once they do find their permanent GM. Do you have any information on that front, on who you expect to be uh, the GM of the Charlotte Hornets and who would make a good candidate there? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't have a specific name in terms of uh, who's going to wind up with the job other than, you know, the people that, my colleague Adrian Wojnarowski has reported right. um, as who are going to be the candidates. What I would say is, though, if they hire any one of those guys, they're all bright young guys that I think are ready to run teams. And you know, again, I think the the way they handled the trade deadline, if they whoever they hire, if they stick to that sort of formula going forward, and they methodically make smart sound decisions and just slowly build this thing. They might not end up winning titles because obviously only one team can win a title, but they will build a good successful team and people in Charlotte will be excited about it. And I, I think that, I think if I was a Hornets fan, I would be as encouraged about the team as I have been in a long time because of how they handled the couple weeks before the deadline. Cause it was a sign of a really solid, strong organization that picked the direction and stuck to it. And if you look around the league, there's a lot of teams in the similar record area that Charlotte is in right now where you cannot say that is what they're doing. And so I think if I'm a Hornets fan, yes, there's a lot of work to be done. Yes, there's a lot of talent that needs to be added. But I feel pretty good about the direction that the team is headed in now. And, um, you know, the next step is obviously to get a GM, and we'll see what happens after that. But, um, you know, going out and getting a young, energetic guy to – carry out this kind of a vision like uh, i'd say it goes along with the same lines of what they did and that's a pretty encouraging sign of where things are headed for the hornets 
Yeah, the fan base is ready to throw a parade after three games. Like, I am too. I am solidly in that well, faction. Well, it's just really funny. Like, and, you know, to go back to the question earlier about, you know, the veterans around LaMelo, like, it was just, it's so striking how bad the back end of Charlotte's roster was that they added five players who essentially weren't playing on teams, and they're significantly better. We right? sold and got better, Tim. Like, how does that even happen? We won three straight games after selling more so. Well, that's, and that's because they just, their, their depth, the final 30, 40% of their roster was as bad as any team in the league. Right. And like just having 15 NBA caliber players on the team can allow you to win games. And like, they got a bunch of rotation players in those trades and like Grant Williams and Vasily Micic and some of these guys a year from now, they could probably flip them for more draft assets. Right. Like it's, it's, that's exactly what Oklahoma city did. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's not sexy in the moment, but if you stack up a bunch of singles and doubles, you score a lot of runs and you have a lot of success and that that's the model they're sticking to. And I thought it was really encouraging. And like I said, I, you know, people were kind of surprised when we were doing like our trade deadline shows and stuff. And I kept trying to talk about Charlotte, but I, I just, I really think, Taking a direction and sticking to it is a hard thing to do in the league, especially when you're down near the bottom. And, you know, for a team and a fan base that certainly deserves to have some success, um, I'm hopeful it's the start of what's a, a nice upswing for you guys. We all have to thank Vasilya Michich. Going to see a lot of jerseys worn by Michich here in Charlotte. That'll do it for Tim Bontemps joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, by the way, at Tim Bontemps, covering the NBA for ESPN. Tim, we really appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tim. Anytime, fellas. Have me on whenever.